0: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. The Republican primary candidates who made the cut for the third debate and agreed to show up squared off Wednesday night in Miami. Donald Trump, again, did not attend. He's confident that he is the man to beat and he stands to gain nothing by showing up and the polling numbers support that opinion. It's a bold strategy, but in this primary cycle, it may be a crazy like a Fox decision. As has been his M.O., Trump held a competing event at a stadium rally in Hialeah and sucked a lot of the air out of the competing event a short distance away. Ann Marty of the Hialeah Republican Club told Axios that people showed up as early as 6 a.m. for the 7 p.m. event, and by 2 p.m. the line to get into the stadium was several blocks long. In some of his comments at his rally, Trump said he would use the Justice Department to level indictments against and investigate his political rivals as he asserts is being done to him. Perhaps the Biden administration has weaponized the Justice Department, as Trump and his MAGA wing of the Republican Party claim, but Letitia James didn't overvalue Trump's real estate holdings. Trump did. Fannie Willis didn't call then-Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger asking him to find 11,780 votes. Trump did. Jack Smith didn't leave a bunch of classified documents laying around Mar-a-Lago. Trump did. To be fair, Trump didn't leave classified documents in Joe Biden's garage either. Biden did. Both are unacceptable and should be investigated, but not for partisan reasons, but because they are illegal. The level of excitement at Trump's rally was significant with a sort of Chance, merch, and crowd energy that is not seen at the events of his rivals. Trump resonates with people, right or wrong, but you cannot deny the loyalty displayed by his fans. Ron DeSantis doesn't have a monster truck dedicated to him, but he does get a mention on the tailgate of Trump's monster truck. It would be dangerous to dismiss his base as Hillary did in 2016 when she called them a basket of deplorables. You may disagree strongly with them. You may find them scary, but they vote, a lesson she learned the hard way. The five candidates squaring off down the street to unseat Trump as the party nominee had better tread lightly if they hope to woo his supporters should the opportunity present itself. The debate was hosted by NBC News and moderated by anchor Lester Holt, Meet the Press host Kristen Welker, and a radio host Hugh Hewitt. The qualifying criteria for this third debate was a minimum of 4% in two national polls or one national poll and one poll from an early primary state, 70,000 unique donors, and at least 200 donors from each of the 20 or more states. Mike Pence has dropped out and Doug Bergam and Asa Hutchinson have not made the cut to attend. Your combatants for the evening were Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor and U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and Senator from South Carolina Tim Scott. After the introductions and pleasantries, the moderators got right into it with the first question.
1: Speak to Republican voters who are supporting Donald Trump. Why should you and not him be the Republican nominee to face Joe Biden a year from now?
0: DeSantis had some blah blah lead in, basic boilerplate, but then fired the first shot at the elephant not in the room, Donald Trump.
2: Now, if you look where we are now, it's a lot different than where we were in 2016. And Donald Trump's a lot different guy than he was in 2016. He owes it to you to be on this stage and explain why he should get another chance. He should explain why he didn't have Mexico pay for the border wall. He should explain why he racked up so much debt. He should explain why he didn't drain the swamp. And he said Republicans were going to get tired of winning. Well, we saw last night, I'm sick of Republicans losing. In Florida, I showed how it's done. One year ago here, we won a historic victory, including a massive landslide right here in Miami-Dade County. That's how we have to do it. So I promise you this, as the nominee, mm-hmm. next November, I'll there get the go. job done. And as president, I will your, your, your deliver time is a,
0: Let me turn... a familiar indictment. Oh, Trump indictment? He's so busy with those these days. But it was well done. DeSantis gives Trump some props, but casts him as right then but wrong now. That's probably the hardest you can swing at Trump, and still have it be kind of an attack without getting his base ready to light torches. DeSantis then mentioned his success in Florida, which was good contrast. Nikki Haley was next.
3: You know everybody wants to talk about president trump well i can talk about president trump i can tell you that i think he was the right president at the right time i don't think he's the right president now i think that he put us eight trillion dollars in debt and our kids are never going to forgive us for that i think the fact that he used to be right on ukraine and and foreign issues now he's getting weak in the knees and trying to be friendly again i think that we've got to go back to the fact that we can't live in the past we can't live in other headlines, we've got to start focusing on what's gonna make America strong and proud. And that's what I'm focused on doing. Let's make sure we pay down our debt. I think we need an accountant in the White House. Let's make sure that we have transparency in the classroom. As a mom, I know what that means. Let's make sure we secure our borders so that our families are safe. Let's get crime down because our families wanna know that they can be safe no matter where they go. And as the wife of a combat veteran, I will tell you, a military needs to know we have our back and we need to make sure that America's- Ambassador, on. thank you very much.
0: Another careful and the best you could hope for attack on Trump. Again, call him out, but show enough respect to not start a vendetta against yourself from his base and then pivot to some policy ideas. The ambassador showed up tonight and the applause says a lot. And then there was Vivek Ramaswamy. He brought his sledgehammer again tonight and came out swinging.
4: I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. It a cancer in the Republican establishment. let speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you wanna come on stage tonight, you wanna to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, people there cheering for losing in the Republican party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party you think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Walker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time, because it's actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real, or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Roberts- Accountability because this media rigged the twenty sixteen election. They rigged the twenty twenty election with a Hunter Biden laptop story.
0: Yeah. He just started his third Republican National Committee debate by calling on the chairwoman of the RNC to apologize for the Republicans becoming quote a party of losers and resign before pivoting to a direct attack on the moderators of the debate and accusing the media of rigging the twenty twenty elections, a core maga dogma. He did all that in his first minute and a half. That's sort of impressive. Tim Cass would later report a source who was sitting next to McDonald said she said, he's an asshole, total asshole, and he's desperate because he's doing bad in the polls. He won't be getting a cent from us. In response, the Ramaswamy campaign reiterated to the Post that Rana Romney should resign, referring to the RNC chair by her maiden name, another standard Ramaswamy move. He called Nikki Haley Nimrata, her legal first name, earlier this year in a juvenile attempt to wind her up. He's that kind of guy. As bad as Vivek wants to be Trump, though, he's not. His poll numbers are tanking, and he needs exposure badly if he intends to hang around long enough to kiss Trump's ass and get the VP slot on a possible Trump ticket. Vivek is really just interviewing to be the Grover Dill to Trump's Scott Farkas. If you don't get that reference, watch A Christmas Story. It's a great holiday movie and I watch it every year, but I'm sure you don't come here for movie reviews, so I'll move on. Chris Christie was next. Tonight, we need to
5: decide which president is gonna be the one to tackle the big issues, who's gonna make this country look once again, not just inward, but look outward at the world and say America is the country, the indispensable nation that makes this a safer world and in a safer world american innovation american hard work has always been the thing that has driven our country to greater things i'm going to be the president who will do those big things we're not going to be small and i'll say this about donald trump anybody who's going to be spending the next year and a half of their life focusing on keeping themselves out of jail and courtrooms cannot lead this party or this country right, and it needs to be said plainly governor, thank you.
0: now chris christie has been the most outspoken critic of trump in this race from day one he's made it clear he laments trump's sway over the party and has endured a lot of hate for it most of his response was standard fair american exceptionalism he saved the jab for last alluding to trump's legal problems a bit softer than his previous performances but a bit tougher than ron and nikki tim scott stepped up to the plate
6: well certainly what i would say without any questions that the truth of my life destroys the lies of the radical left we need a president and a candidate will actually help our base solidify and attract independent voters into our party. The Great Opportunity Party is now winning back African American voters and Hispanic voters.
0: Typical Tim Scott stuff, he's a very positive person, speaking calmly, steady, and in an uplifting way. His answer was Bible heavy, not quite a full thump, but took most of his time. Appealing to other demographics is good, but I don't think that he has the fire that will be required to go against Donald Trump or Joe Biden. This just isn't the election cycle for nice people and he has yet to really swing at any of his opponents hard. We then go to international issues, Israel.
1: Uh, The Israel Hamas war is barely a month old. Tonight Israeli troops are fighting inside Gaza city with over 200 hostages who remain captive there and civilian casualties mount inside Gaza. As president of the United States, what would you be urging Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu
2: to do at this moment? I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country that Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media, I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. We will stand with Israel in word and in deed, in public and in private. And I can tell you as governor, I actually did something about it. Biden's neglect has been atrocious. Uh, We had Floridians that were over there after the attack. He left them stranded. They couldn't get flights out. So I scrambled resources in Florida, I sent planes over to Israel and I brought back over 700 people to safety. There could have been more hostages had we not acted.
0: Strong statement of support for Israel and a good pivot to contrasting Biden and himself. He took maximum advantage of the potential for good optics on this issue. Nikki Haley was next.
3: The first thing I said to him when it happened was I said finish them. Finish them. And the reason is I worked on this every day when I was at the United Nations. And we have to remember that they have to, one, eliminate Hamas, two, support Israel with whatever they need, whenever they need it, and three, make sure we bring our hostages home. We need to be very clear-eyed to know there would be no Hamas without Iran. There would be no Hezbollah without Iran. There would not be the Houthis without Iran. And there wouldn't be the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq that are trying to hit our military men and women if it hadn't been for Iran. And who is funding Iran right now? China is buying oil from Iran, Russia is getting drones and missiles from Iran, and there is an unholy alliance. We need to be clear-eyed. The last thing we need to do is to tell Israel what to do. The only thing we should be doing is supporting them in eliminating Hamas. It is not that Israel needs America. America needs Israel. They are the tip of the spear when it comes to this Islamic terrorism, and we need to make sure that we have their backs in that process. All right.
0: Again, strong support for Israel and great lead into calling out Iran, linking the attacks on American soldiers in Syria by Iranian-backed proxies. Tying the funding back to China and Russia is likely to play well with the base as well. Next up, Vivek Ramaswamy.
4: So what I would tell Bibi is that Israel has the right and the responsibility to defend itself. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border And then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. That's his responsibility. This is our responsibility. That's how we move forward. But I want to be careful to avoid making the mistakes from the neocon establishment of the past. Corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting wars that sent thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age to die in wars that did not advance anyone's interests adding seven trillion dollars to our national debt and Joe Biden sold off our foreign policy. Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a five million dollar bribe from Ukraine. That's why we're sending 200 billion dollars back to that same country. The fact of the matter is the Republican Party is not that much better.
0: He's made a lot of statements on border security and this was a decent segue into that topic of the main question. He goes after the neocons who, quote, spent trillions, killed millions, and made billions for themselves. That's catchy, and he's not wrong on that invoking Iraq and Afghanistan. Also a nice lead in going after Biden and his son and ties to Ukraine. Certainly the cut and run from Afghanistan is not a good memory for a lot of people. I know I still remember watching disturbing video of people who risked their safety to help us in Afghanistan, clinging to departing US military planes and falling to their deaths. Watching what the Taliban is doing to the people there now is infuriating. I don't know where you come down on that issue, but the trillions, millions, billions thing, Vivek is on point. Then he took his first swing of the night at Nikki Haley.
4: You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the UN, bankrupt or in debt was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney and in three inch heels? All right, Mr.
0: Ramaswamy. It's been evident since the first debate that Ramaswamy and Haley hate each other. It wouldn't be a debate without a dust up between these two. Dick Cheney and in three inch heels? Another zinger. Personal insults aside, he did a decent job casting her as an old school insider and himself as not. But again, I don't think this shtick is winning him votes, as the response he received and his 4% poll numbers suggest. Tim Scott was next.
6: Well, number one, I, I would tell Prime Minister, Prime Minister Netanyahu, not only do you have the responsibility and the right to wipe Hamas off of the map, we will support you, we will be there with you, we will stand shoulder to shoulder, there will be no daylight. But I, I would change the, the station a little bit though and head back home to to America. I would say to President Biden, diplomacy only is a weak strategy. Appeasement leads to war. From President Obama to President Biden, Obama sent millions to Iran. Frankly, President Biden has sent billions to Iran. That is why I've said that there's blood dripping from the hands of President Obama and President Biden. I would tell President Biden with great clarity, if you wanna stop the 40 plus attacks on military personnel in the Middle East, you have to strike in Iran. If you wanna make a difference, you cannot just continue to have strikes in Syria on warehouses. You actually have to cut off the head of the snake and the head of the snake is Iran and not simply their proxies. In order for us to have a powerful response from America, we have to be in a position of strength. As President of the United States, My foreign policy is simple. You cannot negotiate with evil. You have to destroy it.
0: Decent support for Israel. And he goes right into indicting, not just Joe Biden, but Barack Obama. Actually hit Iran? That's pretty spicy, Tim. Let's see what Chris Christie has to say. Look,
5: Lester, these problems are so big and serious that the first thing I would say to to Prime Minister Netanyahu is pretty simple. America is here no matter what it is you need at any time to preserve the state of Israel. Remember that Hamas's main goal is to get rid of Israel, is to get Israel absolutely off the map. Now, there are three things I think I would say to him when he asked for advice. The first I would say is that it is absolutely your obligation to protect the territorial integrity of Israel. Secondly, to make sure you protect the security and the safety of your people. Every time something happens to compromise either one of those things, it creates greater unrest in the entire region. Second, you must go in and make sure that Hamas can never do this again. Uh, The fact is that Israel and their intelligence community failed. They failed here and they failed the people of the state of Israel. And so we need to work closely and better together to make sure one, that they're degraded and two, that we know everything that's going on inside Gaza Strip when it's going on so that something like this can't happen to kill 1400 individuals again. And the third thing is to keep your eye on the ball. Make sure that we continue to isolate Iran, work with the reasonable nations in the Middle East, the other Arab nations who want to partner with you and make sure that we continue to isolate Iran so that their only friends in the world are the part of the evil foursome, China, Russia, Iran and North
7: Korea.
0: A very measured response, less hawkish than the other candidates. Christie has been pretty consistent throughout these debates, as being very aggressive on Trump and serious and thoughtful on policy. This was not an uncharacteristic response from him on a topic like this. So, striking a rant, Tim. Let's see what everyone else thinks.
1: Continuing this vein right now with a question from Matthew Brooks, the CEO of the Republican Jewish Coalition, a partner of the Republican National Committee in this debate. Here it is.
2: Given attacks by Iranian-backed proxy groups on U.S. military bases in Syria and Iraq, attacks that have wounded approximately two dozen of our U.S. servicemen, do you support the use of military force by the United States against Iran?
0: Haley was first up, but before she answered the question at hand, she needed to square away Vivek regarding her footwear.
3: Yes, I'd first like to say they're 5-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um, The 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 second thing that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition.
0: She's not a pushover, Vivek. You might want to rethink your strategy, or she's going to continue to hit you back as she has done since day one. She then answered the moderator's question.
3: What we need to be doing for Iraq and Syria is, first of all, the idea that our men and women could be targeted and that we've allowed almost 100 hits to happen under Biden's watch is unthinkable. We need to understand this is Iran giving the green light, telling them what to do. And we shouldn't be doing the tit for tat like what Joe Biden has done. We need to go and take out their infrastructure that they are using to make those strikes with so they can never do it again. Iran responds to strength. You punch them one and you punch them hard and they will back off. But what we don't need is Biden falling all over himself to get back in the Iran deal. Him giving $6 billion to get five hostages home. Him telling Netanyahu now that he needs a pause or a ceasefire. We don't need him going and sitting there tiptoeing around Iran because he thinks they're going to do something. You don't respond to an enemy and a terrorist with fear. You respond with strength when you do that that's when the world pays attention and that's when iran stops
0: strong policy points very hawkish and should be well received by gop voters Ron DeSantis was next he took the opportunity to mention his military service he was in the theater during active duty
2: as commander-in-chief i am not going to put our troops in harm's way unless you're willing to defend them with everything you have Biden has them out there. They're sitting ducks. He's doing glancing blows. That's just inviting more attacks from the Iranians. I would say you you harm a hair on the head of an American service member, and you are going to have hell to pay. We are not just going to sit there and let our service members be sitting ducks. And that's true whether it's Iran or whether it's any country on the world. We have to be strong, and we have to defend the people who defend us.
0: Not exactly earth-shaking, kind of checking a box, but okay. The candidates next fielded a question about the sharp rise in anti-Semitism on college campuses in the wake of the Hamas attacks on Israel and Israel's response. Vivek got first crack at it.
2: Jewish students across the country are threatened and under attack. What do you say to Jewish students on college campuses who feel unsafe given the dramatic rise in anti-Semitism? And what do you
4: say to university presidents and college presidents who have not met the moral clarity moment to forcefully condemn Hamas terrorism? I think the scourge of anti-Semitism across this country, including in places like my alma maters and places like Brooklyn Bridge in New York, it's sad to see. But here's what history teaches us. Anti-Semitism is a symptom of a deeper cancer in a country, and a society that is lost. And we are lost. Several years ago, when I wrote my first book, Woke Inc., I was talking about they were chanting death to America, death to white people, death to Christians. Nobody was waking up back then. Now it's even bad. Now they're saying death to Israel and worse. So it is wrong, but we have to get to the root cause here. Now, I think it's really important that we do this through leadership, not censorship. Leadership means fill that void with purpose and meaning. Dilute this wokeism and anti-semitism to irrelevance. These kids, they have no idea what the heck they're even talking about when they're siding with Hamas over Israel. They are fools. But I also want to caution here. If we go the direction of Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley, with whom I respectfully disagree on this issue, pro-censorship, telling student groups to disband, mark my words. Soon they will say if you question a vaccine and its side effects, you're bioterrorist. Soon they will say that if you show up at a school board meeting, you're a domestic terrorist. Soon if they say that J6 prisoners should be released, you're an insurrectionist terrorist. So that's where this road ends. We don't quash this with censorship because that creates a worse underbelly. We quell it through leadership by calling it out. These university administrators have lost their way and we need leadership at the top in the United States of America that restores our founding values and that has no place for this kind of anti-Semitic hate. That's where I stand while
0: respecting our Constitution." Ramaswamy cites his book, Woke Inc., saying he was calling attention to it back then. While denouncing the behavior and the inactivity of college administrations, he also cautions against giving into censorship and defends constitutional rights. Those are very important things, but depending on the group you're talking to, some speech is more cherished than others, and I doubt a GOP audience would step up to defend that speech. I give him credit for sticking his neck out, but it will likely be spun against him. Tin Scott got his chance next.
6: Well, let me just say to every single university president in America, federal funding is a privilege, not a right. Number one. Number two, to every student who've come to our country on a visa to a college campus, your visa is a privilege, not a right. Number three, any campus that allows for anti-Semitism and hate to allow students to encourage terrorism, mass murder, mass murder and genocide, you should lose your federal funding today, period. To all the students on visas who are encouraging Jewish genocide, I would deport you from those campuses. We have to stand strong with our Jewish Americans. At the end of the day, we should not have our Jewish students in a library being told to hide on our streets in New York. A Jewish citizen has the right to walk on the streets of America with no fear. They have the right to go to college campuses, go to class, and not fear. We will restore that. I started working on anti Semitism on college campuses in 2017, because even then there was a rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses. We must force the people off those campuses.
0: Whoa, Tim coming in hot. He's normally soft-spoken and while the tone of his voice is calm, the substance of his words are heavy. The things he speaks about are, indeed, privileges, and they can very much be taken away. Ron DeSantis would get his chance to weigh in. I was the first presidential candidate to
2: say if you are here on a student visa as a foreign national, you're making common cause with Hamas. I'm canceling your visa and I'm sending you home. No questions asked. (laughs) Second, I have friends here in Florida who their kids do not feel safe even going to university campus at all outside of the state of Florida. You have Jewish students fleeing for their lives at Cooper Union. Joe Biden should have the Department of Justice on these college campuses and holding the universities accountable for civil rights violations. When you have, you should not have money going to these places. I already acted in Florida. We had a group students for justice of Palestine. They said they are common cause with Hamas. They said, we're not just in solidarity. This is what we are. We deactivated them. We're not gonna use tax dollars to fund jihad, no way. And what is Biden doing? Not only is he not helping the Jewish students who are being persecuted, He is launching an initiative to combat so-called Islamophobia. No, it's the anti-Semitism that's spiraling out of control. That is what we have to confront. And as president, I can tell you this, we are not going to stand for this on college campuses any longer.
0: Pretty much same tack as Tim Scott. F around and find out. Visa gone. No tolerance for this. The moderators let in when asking Christie the question as he had some experience as governor of New Jersey on issues like this. They invoked the recent killing of a Muslim child and severe wounding of his mother in the attack that is being called a hate crime.
1: All right, Governor, thank you. Let me turn to Governor, Governor Christie and, and considering what he just said, you led a state with a sizable Muslim population. Last month, as you know, a six year old uh, Palestinian American boy was killed in Illinois by his landlord. His mother was also stabbed more than a dozen times in what has been charged as a hate crime. What do you say to Muslim Americans who are also feeling afraid for their safety right now?
5: now sir, i I'm the only one in the state who's actually had experience in dealing with this. I was appointed by President Bush to be the U.S. Attorney in New Jersey on September 10th, 2001. And when I took over that job after the September 11th attacks, I had to deal with a situation in our state that was explosive. We're the most ethnically diverse state in this country. And so first we heard credible reports about Jewish students and synagogues being threatened in our state in the aftermath of 9-11. We made sure that we sent federal agents to those synagogues and we protected them. And the same thing should be being done now. At the very same time, I personally went from mosque to mosque in New Jersey and met with the leaders of those mosques and with the members of the mosques. And I said to the law enforcement is on your side to protect you, regardless of your religion, if you are going to comply with the law. And we developed fabulous relationships with Muslim Americans all across the state of New Jersey and we stopped any hate crimes that were going on either against Jewish Americans in New Jersey or Muslim Americans in New Jersey. It takes leadership, Lester, to know how to do this. You must work with both sides. Both sides need to know it, but let us never have a false moral equivalence between Hamas and Hezbollah and the Jewish people. The Jewish people stand for right and justice, and Hamas and Hezbollah stand for death.
0: Well said, hate is hate. No tolerance for any of it, no matter the victim or the perpetrator. That evil bastard that killed that six-year-old Muslim boy in Chicago is no different than the mass Hamas terrorists killing Jewish children in Israel. And, again, it's not surprising to hear Chris Christie take the issue on like that. Nikki Haley was next.
3: I think, it, you know, you look at the, the country, and the country is all out of sorts. I think, look at what these kids are dealing with on college campuses. What makes me so angry is, not only do you have the kids barricaded in the library, they have said they were going to shoot up the kosher dining hall. You've got kids' dorm rooms who are being set on fire because they have something related to Israel on their doors. No person should ever feel in danger like this. And this is what I would say about our college presidents, is if the KKK were doing this, every college president would be up in arms. This is no different. You should treat it exactly the same anti-semitism is just as awful as racism and we've got to make sure they're protected and for everybody that's protesting on these college campuses in favor of Hamas let me remind you something Hamas said death to Israel and death to America they hate and would kill you too and the idea that they're talking about genocide for the Jewish people that's not the values of America that's not us we're better than that we don't need to celebrate terrorists we don't need to celebrate genocide We don't need to celebrate violence towards anybody. We need to go back and soul search in our country and remember what we are about. And we are about taking care of people, not going and making them live in fear because some other terrorist activity says they want to destroy them.
0: Right? Good equivalency. Hate is hate. Don't tolerate any of it. Now we talk about Ukraine support with Tim Scott being the first to answer.
8: The United States has given Ukraine financial and military support since the war began more than 600 days ago. President Zelensky told me on Sunday if Russia isn't stopped now, quote, the price will be higher for the United States and Americans would be forced to, quote, send your sons and daughters to defend NATO countries. Where do you stand on more funding for Ukraine?
6: I certainly have been very supportive of Ukraine. I believe that ultimately we should make sure that the president of the United States States what is America's national vital interest in Ukraine? It is actually in degrading the Russian military. We've been very effective using our resources and our weaponry and the incredibly high price of Ukrainian blood to achieve that objective. Every day we get closer to the degradation of the Russian military, and that's good news. But the American people are frustrated that they do not have a president who reminds us and tells us where's the accountability. Where are those dollars? How are those dollars being spent? We need those answers for us to continue to see the support for Ukraine. And at the same time, I would say that a package, a package that's been offered by the president for Ukraine and Israel, that's the wrong approach. We need to focus specifically on providing Israel with the $14 billion that they need so that we show the world that we are 100% undeniably standing shoulder to shoulder with israel and then as we turn away from that direct support for israel we should go to our southern border and close our southern border with the resources necessary i believe that we have sleeper terrorist cells in america thousands of people have come from yemen iran syria and iraq if we're going to deal with a national security emergency at our border we have to do it now
0: scott suggests our national interests are served by degrading russia's military with our resources and ukrainian blood a chilling but not untrue statement he doesn't sound on board with linking israel and ukraine funding though as the biden administration and his own senate minority leader want his pivot to u.s border security is somewhat germane owing to his focus on our national interest and his concern about a porous border is well founded he would not let the moderator corner him, though, and never said he would support more Ukraine funding. On Ukraine, Ramaswamy has been very vocal on his lack of support for Ukraine, and his answer tracks with past comments.
8: Senator Scott, Mr. Ramaswamy, are you persuaded by President Zelensky's urgent new plea? Where do you stand on more funding? I
4: am absolutely unpersuaded, and I'm actually enjoying watching the Ukraine hawks quietly, delicately tiptoe back from their position as this thing has unwound into a disaster. The first half of this race i was the only person standing for it now they're actually quietly coming around to being more cautious as they should level with the american people here ukraine is not a paragon of democracy this is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties it has consolidated all media into one state tv media arm that's not democratic it has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the u.s forks over more money that is not democratic It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream media. The regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now, in the Donbass, Luhansk, Donetsk, these are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard facts and sort of this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. And I'd like the likes of the, the sharpest of the war hawks on Ukraine, Nikki Haley, to have some accountability and answer. Do you want to use U.S. taxpayer money to fund the banning of Christians? That is actually what's happening. They're using the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. They have banned them. The Ukrainian parliament just did this last week supported by our dollars. And I think you owe it to the American people, Nikki, to at least this Mr. one time, at least at least condemn, thank you, at least Mr. condemn their banning you. of Christians. Mr.
8: Ramaswamy, thank we'll you. Mr. Ramaswamy, thank question. you. We asked the
0: question. That one's going to bite you, Vivek. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, a comedian in cargo pants, the man called Zelensky. You can have your spokesman, Trisha McLaughlin, run interference for you after the debate, saying, quote, he was talking quickly and kind of oscillated in his words. But you said that. You know what? You meant that. You like to fire off incendiary comments, and sometimes when you play with fire, you burn your fingers. You call a Jewish man, a man whose family lost people to Nazi genocide, himself a Nazi. You need to start thinking more before opening your mouth, lest people see who you really are. Yes, they haven't been part of Ukraine since 2014. Why is that exactly? You left that part out before going after Nikki Haley again. She gonna hit you again.
8: Ambassador Haley, what is your take on more funding for Ukraine?
3: I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to. The fact of the matter is, she hasn't answered.
8: So this is what I will tell you. We're driving Russia into China's China's. territory. You've had your time to talk. The ambassador has the floor. Thank you. The
3: first thing I'll tell you is we all remember what that thug did when he invaded Ukraine. We all know that half a million people have died because of Putin. And here is a freedom-loving, pro-American country that is fighting for its survival and its democracy. No, I don't think we should give them cash. I think we should give them the equipment and the ammunition to win. And I'll tell you, if Biden had done it when they first asked for it, this war would be over. But let's also remember this. When you left Afghanistan in shambles and left them with a ton of weapons and money, it's not that we left, it's how we left. When you look at Ukraine, don't think for a second. Now everybody wants to move away from Ukraine. They'll want to move away from Israel a year from now. America can never be so arrogant to think we don't need friends. After 9-11, we needed a lot of friends. Now is the time to get partnerships. This unholy alliance between Russia, Ukraine and China is real. There is a reason the Taiwanese want us to support the Ukrainians it's because they know that china is coming after them next there is a reason ukrainians want us to support israelis because they know that if iran wins russia wins we have to see the combination of the three
0: and there it is you wanted that smoke and she brought it she took the opportunity to parlay this exchange into a deeper discussion of the issue and the larger ramifications the moderator then turned to chris christie
8: thank you governor christie what is your take? how long should Americans be expected to help fund the war in Ukraine?
5: Kirsten, let's remember the last time that we turned our back on a shooting war in Europe. It bought us just a couple of years. And then 500,000 Americans were killed in Europe to defeat Hitler. This is not a choice. This is the price we pay for being the leaders of the free world. And the fact is, this alliance is not just with Russia and China. Governor Haley knows this. Iran is in the middle of this as well, and so is North Korea. And they are all working to support Russia right now. And the reason they're doing it is because dictators work together. People who believe in democracy work together. We must stand with all of those that are standing up for democracy and freedom in this world. And by the way, let's remind everybody of this. In 1992, this country made a promise to Ukraine. We said, if you return nuclear missiles, that were part of the old Soviet Union to Russia, and they invade you, we will protect you. An American promise that's 31 years old is no different than an American promise that's made tonight on this stage. We need to stand by it. And those of us who forget history are doomed to repeat it. I'd like to respond. And the absolute, the absolute giving in to dictators, which is being suggested on this stage just shows the immaturity of the
0: approach. Invoked the lead-up to World War II isolationism in his reasoning for supporting Ukraine, and it's not much of a stretch. His frequent catchphrase that, quote, Putin is getting the band back together, is a fair assertion. The agreement that he speaks of is most likely two agreements. The first, the 1994 trilateral statement. That was an agreement between Ukraine, Russia, and the United States, whereby Ukraine would transfer its Soviet-era nuclear weapons back to Russia, in return, they would receive compensation for the commercial value of the nuclear material. The second being the Budapest Memorandum. This was an agreement signed by Ukraine, the United Kingdom, the United States, and Russia that included, quote, security insurances against the threat or use of force against Ukraine's territory or political independence. The country's promise to respect the sovereignty and existing borders of Ukraine. Read that last one, Vivek, twice if you have to. Because the whole 2014 thing was in clear violation of that 1994 agreement, it was also in violation of a 2009 joint statement from the United States and Russia confirming that the security assurances made in the 1994 Budapest Memorandum would still be valid after START Treaty expired in 2009. Christie drawing parallels to the appeasement of Hitler and Ramaswamy's support of Putin's aggression are spot on. I
8: don't I don't idea are you concerned that this could become a wider war if putin is not stopped now
2: well any suggestion by Zelensky or anyone else that we should we are going to eventually have u.s troops there i can tell the american people when i'm president that will not happen we are not going to send your sons and daughters to ukraine i am going to send troops to our southern border if you look at the threats that we face terrorists have come in through our southern border I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to have the military and I'm going to deport the people who've come, particularly under Biden, who've come from the Middle East, come from all these places. Now, Biden wants one hundred and five billion dollars, uh, 60. Most of that's Ukraine, including some of it going to pay pensions for bureaucrats and salaries. That is a totally ridiculous use of American tax dollars. He says he has money for border to try to do. and The media will repeat that when you look at it, what most of the money is, is money to process more illegal aliens into this country. How is that solving the problem? That's making the problem worse. And what does he do for the Indo-Pacific? A pittance. That is the top threat that we face. We need to bring this war to an end. We need the Europeans to step up and do their fair share. And we need to get serious about the top threat that this country faces, which is the Chinese Communist Party.
0: DeSantis provides assurances US troops would not be on the ground over there and that he would rather use them on the southern border. Fair enough. But the second a Russian boot touches NATO soil, all bets are off. Article five kicks in and we are in World War three, whether you like it or not. Yes, China is a threat, and that's our next question.
7: Many Republicans believe that the Chinese Communist Party and General Secretary Xi is an existential threat to the United States. The flashpoint is Taiwan. For decades and decades, the American military, but primarily the United States Navy, has deterred an attack from China to the island state of Taiwan. But Ronald Reagan's Navy of 600 ships is gone. Now, the question to you is, and I'll start with you, Ambassador Haley, because you were in President Trump's cabinet, His goal was a 355 ship Navy. That's what he pushed for, he got to 300. It's now at 291. Is that big enough to deter and if necessary, defeat an invasion of Taiwan?
3: China has the largest naval fleet in the world. They have 350 ships. They'll have 400 ships in two years. We won't even have 350 ships in two decades. China has built up their military. It's not just land, air, and sea. They're doing cyber, they're doing artificial intelligence, they're doing space. America needs to modernize our military we need to do everything we can the first thing is you go and you make sure you have the back of you backs of Ukraine that's why the Taiwanese want us to support Ukraine because they know that sends the biggest message to China the second thing is we go to China and we start being tough on them no more sales of our American soil to China, and let's take back what they've already stolen. Then you go and you t- to the universities. No more having millions of dollars go to our universities. Then we will go and end all for- formal trade relations with China until they stop murdering Americans from fentanyl. Something Ron is yet to say that he's going to do. And then we modernize our military when we strengthen our military when we modernize it with the focus of cyber artificial intelligence and space when we make sure that we have the backs of our friends, whether it's in Israel, whether it's in Ukraine, and we should be arming Taiwan, make sure they have the equipment they need, make sure they have the training they need. Now there's nothing China fears more than knowing that America will have Taiwan's back. Let's make sure that we show it by making sure they have the equipment they need.
0: As someone who lives in the region and can catch Chinese radio signals on a clear day, I'm glad to hear things like that. China is indeed a serious threat in the region. What's your plan, Ron DeSantis?
2: Not enough. We have to have the ability to back up a strategy of denial of President Xi's ambitions. And if China is able to be the world's leading superpower, that will affect you and your family in ways that are gonna be very bad. They will export authoritarianism all around the world as the cost of doing business. They will impose things like social credit scores and internet monitoring. So this is, to this generation, what the Soviet Union was to the post-World War II generation. I've already released a plan. We're gonna get to 355 ships at the end of the first term, 385 ships at the end of the second term, but we're gonna have a path to 600 ships over the next 20 years. I think the future of freedom is going to be determined in the Indo-Pacific. We have a strategy, not with mil- not just military, but decoupling from the economy and fighting them here at home with their cultural.
0: That's very ambitious. His website says the plan is, quote, direct a fleet to be built that gets industry on track to sustain a major war this decade by delivering a fleet of 355 warships by the end of the first term, including large unmanned ones and a battle force of 385 ships by the end of the second term with a comprehensive, achievable plan to achieve 600 ships in 20 years. It's one thing to say you're going to do it, but it's another to do it. I'd be interested to see this fleshed out in the future with hard numbers. For the first time that night, he then attacked Nikki Haley. You
2: know, Ambassador Haley said somehow I wasn't doing she welcomed them into South Carolina, gave them land near a military base, wrote the Chinese ambassador a love letter saying what a great friend they were. That was like their number one way to do economic development. In Florida, I banned China from buying land in this state and we kicked out on our universities spot. and we kicked the Confucius Institutes out of our universities. We've recognized the threat and we've acted swiftly and decisively.
0: Tim Scott seems to be concerned about how we get to that military build-up goal as well.
2: Well, two major problems with the, with the question.
6: Number one, uh, we do not have currently a defense industrial bank to allow us to have the kind of production that we need in order to keep America safe. Frankly, if we are not prepared to fight and engage in three continents, At the same time, think about where we are today. In the Middle East, we are in the midst of trying to back our strongest ally. In Eastern Europe, we've seen our resources and our weaponry help degrade the Russian military. The Indo-Pacific, we have real challenges. The long-term threat, the long-term threat is China. Immediate threat is our Southern border. In order for us to have the military to fight three different continents at the exact same time, we are going to have to invest heavily in our military, but we're also going to have to invest heavily in an industrial base so that we can hit our objectives from a military perspective, not only with our ships, but also with our air, with our planes. We are so old as a military that in order for us to recalibrate, we're going to have to invest. One of the things I do in my Made in America strategy is we create more than 4 million new jobs by having high-tech manufacturing come back to America, decoupling from China so that we focus our attention on creating that industrial revolution that will be necessary for us to achieve the goal of having a military that is ready to be lethal and come home safe.
0: Yes, indeed. We can't just dream up the funding and infrastructure to build up the military. It takes real commitment and effort. There is another limiting factor though, one that Vivek Ramaswamy astutely points out. China is in our supply chain.
4: First answer is, end the toxic divest to invest program. For people who don't know about that, we're decommissioning ships in the South China Sea. The foundation of war is economics. Rebuild our defense industrial base at home. But here's the dirty little secret. Our actual defense industrial base depends on China for the supply chain, for the F-35 jets, for the ships that we're building. Think about this. Why are we stockpiling that if it isn't to actually be strong against our enemy, China? We depend on them for that just like we depend on them for pharmaceuticals, just like we depend on them for semiconductors. So here's why we can't get tough with China. It's because we depend on them for our modern way of life. And we have to declare economic independence from our enemy. That's the declaration of independence that Thomas Jefferson at the age of 33 would have signed. And today, if you were alive, that's the declaration of independence that I will sign as the next president.
0: He then swung at both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis on their activity with China.
4: I do have to recognize that Ron DeSantis was correct about acknowledging Nikki Haley's tough talk when she was ambassador to the UN, calling China our great friend, bringing the CCP to South Carolina. What he left out though, Ron, and be honest about it, there was a lobbying-based exemption in that bill that allowed Chinese nationals to buy land within a 20-mile radius of
0: a military base lobbied for by one of your donors. So I think we have to call a spade a spade. Chris Christie's plan He loves them some subs. Not subwoofers. Not sandwiches nuclear subs filled with tasty missiles to give China pause.
5: The nuclear submarines in this United States Navy is the greatest deterrent to Chinese aggression. And that is the first place I would go to increase American naval power. Our nuclear submarines are able to move stealthily, quietly and effectively. And if we are going to deter China from invading Taiwan, the only way we're going to do it is to make sure that they don't know Whether how many nuclear submarines from the United States of America are in the South China Sea and in that area, and ready to strike on them if they decide to move on Taiwan, and so we, as our first priority, need to go directly to our nuclear sub program queue, and we need to increase it drastically. That would be priority number one. Ships would come next, but to me, the ships are secondary choice here. The the submarines are the single most important thing that we could be deterring, that we could be using to deter China. But the other thing we could do to deter China is to let them know that the blood money they're spending for Russia in Ukraine right now will not be effective. That we send Putin home with his tail between his legs and make them understand that the same fate waits for them. If they decide to move towards Taiwan with a more aggressive nuclear subprogram, we'll be able to make that threat real.
0: His larger worldview, seeing Ukraine as an indicator of U.S. resolve vis-a-vis Taiwan, is likely something China is watching. We better get it right. Now we TikTok about TikTok. Chris.
7: Thank you, Lester. We're going to stay on China, and we're going to talk specifically about TikTok. Last week, Congressman Mike Gallagher, who is chairman of the House Bipartisan Select Committee on the Chinese Communist Party, published a long essay on TikTok following the flooding of pro-Hamas propaganda on TikTok accounts across the United States. Chairman Gallagher called it shocking. He called the app predatory, controlled by America's preeminent adversary. One used to push propaganda and divide America. It's spyware, he said, a means of surveillance. Do you agree with Chairman Gallagher? And if so, would you ban or force the sale of TikTok? I agree
5: 100% with Chairman Gallagher. And let me say this, TikTok is not only spyware. It is polluting the minds of American young people all throughout this country. And they're doing it intentionally. And when you saw what happened in the last few weeks, With all of this anti Semitic, horrible stuff that their algorithms were pushing out at a gargantuan rate. This is China trying to further divide the United States of America. And this is one of the big failings among many of the Trump administration. He talked tough about TikTok. I heard him do it many times. But when it came down to it, he did not ban them when he could have and should have. And now, since then, We've had an additional nearly six years of this type of poison be put out throughout the United States, even putting aside the spine, which we know is going on in the theft of American personal data and information. So in my first week as president, we would ban TikTok. They want to go ahead and sell it. Let them go ahead and sell it. But I'll tell you another reason we would do it. Facebook's not in China. X is not in China. They're not permitting a free flow of information to the Chinese people from our social media companies. Yet we just open the door and let them do what they're doing. TikTok should be bad because they are poisoning American minds, and I would do it week one.
0: And then Ron DeSantis would give his thoughts.
2: Yes, I think that China is the top threat we face. They've been very effective at infiltrating different parts of our society. So my policy on China on the Chinese Communist Party is very simple, we win, they lose. And in order to do that, it's not just military, it's economic and it's cultural. And as the dad of a six, five and a three year old, I'm concerned about the data that they're getting from our young people and what they're doing to pollute the minds of our young people. These kids get these devices and they have a mind of their own. And I know a lot of parents are looking it's hard to even keep it out China's obviously the the most extreme but this is happening with other things so we are going to do that and we are going to make sure to protect the American people it's a full spectrum approach to be able to fend China off yes military deterrence yes economic uh, decoupling but also their role in our culture if we don't if we ignore that we're not going to be able to win the fight
0: all good points The reality of what that app can and is doing are well known and need to be addressed.
7: Ambassador Haley, speak to the parents out there. There are probably TikTok apps on half the phones in this uh, auditorium.
3: No, I'm going to speak to the fact that two people hit me and you didn't let me respond. So let's first talk about the fact that they want to talk about the Chinese land from 10 years ago. Yes, I brought a fiberglass company 10 years ago to South Carolina, but Ron, you are the chair of your economic development agency that as of last week said, Florida is the ideal place for Chinese businesses. Not only that, you have a company that is manufacturer of Chinese military planes. You have it, they are expanding two training sites at two of your airports now, one which is 12 miles away from a naval base. Then you have another company that's expanding, and they were just invaded by the Department of Homeland Security. So mine was ten years ago. You Yours them was stuff. six years ago. Give them What's your story? And I abolished
2: that agency that she's talking about. No. Enterprise he... Florida. We abolished it. And of course we banned he China from buying the land. Not exactly week. a Go great check. recruiting uh, if you're uh... banning them from purchasing you land the website. So we've up Florida. Yeah.
0: She is likely talking about Cirrus Aircraft, a subsidiary of Aviation Industry Corp of China. In 2022, Cirrus opened two new locations in Florida, one 12.7 miles away from the Naval Warfare Center Training Systems Division. Whoops! The parent corp, AVIC, makes fighter jets, helicopters, and drones for the Chinese military and was sanctioned in 2020 as a possible national security threat. Ironically, in February of this year, DeSantis gave remarks on President Biden's response to the Chinese spy balloon while standing in front of a serious aircraft. Duh! It is fair to challenge Ms. Haley on her sweetheart deals with the Chinese when she was governor of South Carolina, and there are questionable activities. But dude, make sure you don't have any skeletons in your own closet before trying to paint yourself as China's public enemy number one. That's so embarrassing.
7: Mr. Ramaswamy. Uh, we've talked about this. You campaign on TikTok. How do you get TikTok banned if you use it?
4: Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my or daughter I your voice. Dog, daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters propping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy gone. answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. we got to go further. We have to ban any U.S. company actually transferring U.S. data to the Chinese. Here's a story most people don't know. Airbnb hands over U.S. user data to the CCP. Now that's a U.S. owned company. So this is the problem when you have Republicans that temporarily go the way the winds blow and now it's Popular to talk tough on China when she was U.N. ambassador, called them literally her words, not my our great friend. You can't be fair weather fans of the right policy. Get to the root cause. Even U.S. companies in Silicon Valley are regularly doing it. Cut the virtue signaling. The fact of the matter is Democrats are on TikTok today. The only person, one of the few people who is putting up content the way the actual algorithms work, speaking for pro-Israel views or others, Ambassador indeed, and Ailey, um, more Republicans will join it, but uh, stop U.S. companies from turning over data to Chinese companies. that's real like, uh, uh, don't get to respond
7: to personal attacks, but you do.
3: Thank you very much. You know, when he talks about me praising China, he doesn't know the fact that the reason China was praised was because I negotiated with China and Russia, the largest set of sanctions against North Korea in a generation. We are the... Re- that is literally the reason North Korea stopped testing ballistic missiles. So I said China did good on their part. That was a negotiation our, our you could never said do- what
4: you said, Nikki. Those are your words, not mine. And so just We'd, own up to it. You would never you have been able to get That's that loud. negotiation done. But don't done. lie to the people about I what you've said or what, what you've done in China. South Carolina.
3: You brought them to China my entire career with the Ron United, United Every day I fought China. And I did it by making sure facts. no one she could get any agency heads in the UN. I did it by making sure that we called them out on human rights. I did it by making sure that we held them accountable on everything that they did. That's the reason we got out of the Human Rights Council. That's the reason we I, called them out. And I have. there's not to day it. I haven't stopped. Nikki Condona it, it is
4: your turn, Mr. Ramaswamy. Really made
7: afterwards. What everybody else is hanging on to the rules here, Mr. Yeah. Ramaswamy. Wow.
0: She's right, Vivek. You are a scum. I see you have a family, a wife and young son. How would you feel if somebody started invoking your loved ones to try and gain political points against you? The audience made it pretty clear that was crossing a line, but I doubt you see anything wrong with it. You're like school on Sunday, bro. No class.
6: We should, I appreciate y'all clapping for me already, this is wonderful answer. Without just... any question, what we should do is ban TikTok, period. Now we saw under former President Trump, he tried to ban TikTok twice was struck down by our federal courts. If you cannot ban TikTok, you should eliminate the Chinese presence on the app, period. We also should provide, in my parents' Bill of Rights, we give parents the opportunity to give their kids permission under 14 to be on those apps. I think it's incredibly important for us as Americans to take back control of the information, especially of our kids. Where does it go? We should know that. One of the ways that we get to know that is by having a parental consent. But if we can eliminate TikTok, that is a first step. But it's not just TikTok. China continues to spy on our kids, but they're also buying our farmlands. We talked about that several times there. We have to make sure that we use the tools that are in our toolkit to stop China from buying farmland near our bases. The third thing we have to do is make sure that they stop stealing our intellectual property. They're literally stealing our IP to compete against us. My administration, we stopped that day one and we start making sure that we create six-figure income for jobs made in America through my strategy.
0: Parental consent is certainly a possible strategy. Land purchases are also a big concern as well as protecting our intellectual property. But it seems these are commonly agreed upon stances among all the candidates, at least in word, if not in deed.
8: Many Venezuelan immigrants are settling right here in Florida. Former President Trump and President Biden have taken different approaches to Nicolas Maduro's regime with little result. Former President Trump put economic pressure on Venezuela and backed one of Maduro's rivals. President Biden temporarily eased sanctions to encourage electoral reforms. Do you see the political situation in Venezuela as a threat to the United States? And what would your approach be?
2: We should never rely on Venezuela for oil like Biden has had to go uh, beg. I'm gonna unleash all of America's energy potential. On day one, I'm taking all the Biden regulations, the Green New Deal, ripping it up and throwing it in the trash can where it belongs. We're going to lower your gas prices. We're going to create jobs. We're going to lower energy costs, but we're also going to be more energy independent and secure. We'll choose Midland over Moscow. We'll choose the Marcellus over the mullahs, and we'll choose Bakken over Beijing. That is good for America's national security. Biden's Green New Deal. That's good for Venezuela, it's good for Russia, it's good for Iran, and it's good for China. So I would turn the screws on the Venezuelan regime. I think it's a corrupt dictatorial regime, and we should never go hat in hand begging for oil from them.
8: Just to be clear, would you reimpose the sanctions? Yes, absolutely.
0: Good stuff. Energy independence is a vital thing for our economy and our national sovereignty. Here's hoping these candidates mean what they say on this issue. Nikki Haley was next up.
3: You know, I stood on the Simon Boulevard Bridge and watched thousands of Venezuelans cross in the, for hours in the hot sun, holding their babies to get the one meal they might get that day going from Venezuela to Colombia. They were fleeing socialism and begging for freedom. We need to make sure that we do everything we can to sanction Maduro. We shouldn't be getting dirty oil. And Biden just gave 500,000 Venezuelans temporary priority status, which is just going to have more of them come.
0: And then she strikes hitting DeSantis on his energy policies in Florida.
3: But on the energy side, it cracks me up that Ryan continues to do this. He has opposed fracking. He's opposed drilling. Last time he said it wasn't true and he, everybody found out that it was true. He opposed it before Florida voters even voted true. on it. <laughs> he was praised by the Sierra Club and you're trying to make up for it and act like you weren't you weren't a liberal when it comes to the environment. You were, you always have been. Just own it well, but, if that's the case, but don't keep saying you're something that you're not.
2: Let me respond to that. Um, response so uh, our whole energy plan You can't get the shale without fracking. We are absolutely going to frack, but I disagree with Nikki Haley. I don't think it's a good idea to drill in the Florida Everglades, and I know most Floridians agree with
3: me. You ban (laughs) fracking.
0: Good comeback, Ron. If, in fact, that was the key factor, yes, I think most Floridians wouldn't want oil exploration in the Everglades. Fair play. Next, the moderators asked about short-term strategies to reduce a rising cost of goods and services, day one. That was a question from Iowa, y'all. You're going to see that state soon, so make it good.
1: An Iowa voter recently told NBC News, how am I going to make sure of my pantry stock without breaking the bank? You've all said the best way to deal with rising prices is to cut government spending. But that would take time to play out, and Americans are struggling right now. What would you do the moment you take office to help Americans manage the cost of living? So we're talking about short term here.
6: The first thing I would do as President of the United States is I would sign the XL Keystone Pipeline and start seeing resources flow. second thing I would do is make sure that there's certainty and predictability so that those folks who have the leases in our country would have the certainty and predictability to go ahead and become energy independent. We should focus not just on being energy independent. We should focus on being energy dominant. America is the home to more energy resources than any other country on the planet. We can reduce the price of energy. We can reduce the price of food and the price of electricity if we focus on my Build here, don't borrow from China plan that is embedded the made in America strategy creates 10 million new jobs in three different areas. One is innovation. Second is the high tech manufacturing. And the third is the energy economy. We have an opportunity as Americans to actually export the surplus energy that we create in our nation and disconnect from China and from murderous dictators and tyrants around the Your world. Your time is up, but let me just follow
1: up. The yeah. idea of pumping gas, of, of turning on pipelines, that doesn't put make gas cheaper that day. I'm talking about, you become president. What can you do specifically to help
6: people feel better about their situation or be better with their situation? Well, well actually it does, to be honest with you. The way that the economy works is it works on the ability to anticipate excess supply versus the demand. When that happens, confidence drives our prices down because we know there's going to be a greater surplus when you allow for those who have leases to actually start drilling to start using those leases for for more energy excavation, you put our economy in the strongest position. And as a result of that prices start going down. That is the kind of economy that as President of the United States I would lead this nation to making sure that we first use the resources in our own country and not going outside of our country in order to achieve our objective.
0: I have to agree with the Senator, Lester. The economy is very much driven by confidence and a pro-energy policy would send a signal that America was opening back up for business. Energy costs are foundational to most of our economic drivers and reducing costs here would cascade through all levels of economic endeavors. This would lower the cost for goods and services, as well as directly impacting consumers' budgets by lowering their own energy costs. There's no assurances Scott has a workable plan, but the basic reasoning is sound, Lester.
2: Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take all the executive orders, the regulations, everything involving Bidenomics, I'm gonna rip it up, and I'm gonna throw it in the trash can on day one where it belongs. That is gonna give the economy breathing room, and I'm also gonna rein in the Federal Reserve. They have helped create Uh, with their reckless monetary policy, what we have faced since the COVID-19 pandemic. They botched it. Congress botched it. Both parties are to blame. Fed should focus on stable prices. They are not an economic central planner for the American people.
0: Okay. This is pretty much boilerplate Ron DeSantis. Get rid of Bidenomics. That sounds like a start. It doesn't appear to be working. As much as the Democrats protest that it's working, prices continue to rise. Is that what they mean? Was that the goal? If so, it's working. I'm extremely lucky in that I earn a decent wage. I am merely inconvenienced by Bidenomics. People in lower income brackets are seriously struggling and this has to stop.
4: Right, and as a CEO, the economic question is core to my vision and policy prescription for this country. Increase the supply of everything. It's the law of supplies and demand. Increase the supply of energy. That brings down the cost of energy, grows the economy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Increase the supply of labor in this country. Stop using our taxpayer money to pay people more to stay at home instead of to go to work. Increase the supply of housing. People don't talk about this one in the Republican Party. The land use restrictions are constricting the supply of housing. That's making housing more expensive for ordinary Americans across this country. So that's the true answer. And I think it takes a CEO in the White House who actually understands this to get this done. Because Americans at home, they know the Bidenomics is a lie. Prices are going up, interest rates and mortgages to buy your home are going up, but wages have remained flat. That's the hard diagnosis for our economy. And this is about more than just our economy. I say this as a member of my generation. I'm 38 years old, I'm the youngest person ever to run for US president as a Republican. The reason my generation has lost our sense of national pride in part is because people in my generation feel like the American dream isn't available to them. And part of the reason why is we burdened them with four-year college degrees that did not serve their head start on the American dream. People will be more proud of a country if we're all making more money in that country. This is how we revive national pride and our identity, and it will take a CEO in the White House
1: with zero-based budgeting, by the way, to take Mr. on the federal Ramiswamy, debt to get this job
0: Increase the supply of everything. Whoa. Don't overwhelm us with the details. Why didn't someone else think of that? It sounds so simple. Pro-energy. Okay, that tracks. I gotta take issue with you on one thing though, Mr. CEO. It's not land use restrictions driving up housing costs. It's speculation by investment banks buying up single family housing, offering over market value to lock out individual buyers and artificially increasing prices. Hedge funds. Your type of people. Don't try to get too folksy with us, it rings hollow. The American Dream is not available to your generation? Well, as a member of the generation before yours, I'd agree. It is demonstrably harder for young people to plug into the American dream. And when taking that into context, their apathy seems an inescapable conclusion. Lester,
5: well, part, the, the, part of the entire premise of the question, and I agree with Tim on this, is absolutely energy is the key to this because it drives every one of those other prices. You know, now food gets to your grocery store, it gets trucked. And those truckers have to pay for fuel for the higher fuel prices. And when you go ahead and you tell people We are going to unleash every bit of American energy, every bit of its potential. What happens in the futures markets? The prices go down, because those people who are believing that the Biden program will continue are the ones who are bidding this up. And let me take the other place that's bidding it up, in the Middle East. And so if you don't believe that making sure that Israel and that Israel situation that's going on right now, isn't resolved and resolved quickly as president of the United States and bring stability back, that will also not permit countries like Saudi Arabia and others to be able to jack their prices as well. And what they say is a response to a crisis when it's really what it's in response to is putting more money in their pockets. When they have an American president who knows that Israel must be defended not with humanitarian pauses and not with suggestions for ceasefire, but with letting them know we will supply them with everything they need, that will also bring stability to the market. Energy is the key to bringing this down. It's what every American family needs when they turn on their lights, fill up their car, and go to the grocery store. And we need to do that first and foremost. That's the short-term answer.
0: Again, Christie is paying attention to the big picture. Not just talking about domestic policies, but also international ones that pay dividends at home. It looks like the PEC understands energy independence and prices are pivotal to reviving our economy.
1: Mr. Haley, let me come at this from a slightly different direction. Americans in rural communities are being especially squeezed by inflation right now. An Iowa State University study found that last year inflation cost rural households about an extra $5,000. How would you specifically help rural Americans who are suffering right now,
3: Ambassador? Well, I'm a product of rural America. I grew up in rural South Carolina. And I can tell you what we're seeing now in America is the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. We have to go and start beefing up the middle class. And the first thing I would do is I will eliminate the federal um, gas and diesel tax in this country. We'll cut taxes on the middle class, but we have to stop this spending binge that's happening by Republicans and Democrats in Congress. I will make sure one, we claw back the $500 billion of unspent COVID dollars that are out there. Instead of 87,000 IRS agents going after middle America, we'll go after the hundreds of billions of dollars of COVID fraud that exists, one out of every $7. We'll stop the spending, we'll stop the borrowing, we'll eliminate the earmarks, and I'll veto any spending bill that doesn't go back to pre-COVID levels. That will cut trillions and allow us to be safe. We also need to be not energy independent, energy dominant. We are blessed with resources, let's do it. But the reason no one should give you a number, Hugh, on the amount of ships in the Navy, is because in a few years, our interest expense is gonna be more than our defense budget. So no one can give you that number realistically without first tackling what's happening with the financial situation. It would be a false number to give you that. We have got to understand this is a crisis. It is a national security concern. If we don't deal with what's going to happen with that interest expense in a few years, we're going to look like Japan and we can't let that happen. The strong dollar matters.
0: Looks like somebody's watching the country's finances, seeing the credits and debits and how askew they are. She sounds like an accountant. Oh wait, she was an accountant. Good to see that she at least claims to have her eye on the fundamentals. Speaking of the books, let's talk about one of the third rail issues in American politics, social security.
8: Americans could see their social security benefits drastically cut in the next decade because the program is running out of money. Former President Trump has said, quote, under no circumstances should Republicans cut entitlements. Governor Christie, first to you, you have proposed raising the retirement age for younger Americans. What would that age be specifically, and would you consider making any other reforms to Social Security?
5: Sure, and we have to deal with this problem. Now, look, if we raise the retirement age a few years for folks that are in their 30s and 40s, um, I have a son who's in the audience tonight who's 30 years old. If he can't adjust to a few-year increase in Social Security retirement age over the next 40 years, I got bigger problems with him than his social security payments. Okay. And the fact is we need to be realistic about this. There are only three things that go into determining whether social security can be solvent or not. Retirement age, eligibility for the program in general and taxes. That's it. We are already overtaxed in this country and we should not raise those taxes, but an eligibility also. I don't know if out there tonight and if you're watching Warren, Um, I don't know if Warren Buffett is collecting Social Security, but if he is, shame on you. You shouldn't be taking the money. There are a lot of programs in this country that we all pay for that we don't get a direct benefit from. Food stamps is one of them. I've never, fortunately in my life, ever had me or my family on food stamps. But I'm glad it's there so that no one in this country goes to bed hungry at night if they have availability to that program. But I don't get a direct benefit. The fact is, on Social Security, remember why it was established. It was established as a safety net program to make sure that no one would grow old in this country in poverty. That's what we got to get back to. Rich people should not be collecting Social Security.
8: Governor, can you give me a specific age, 69, 70? What would the age be? Now,
5: look, that's going to be a part of a negotiation with Congress, Kirsten. And hell, I'm not going to start negotiating until I get there.
0: That's a good one, Chris. I like the joke at the end and the substance of your comments. Social Security is a promise made to the people by the government. It's not voluntary, and the program needs to be solvent. It isn't. And that's Congress's fault, not the American taxpayer. Over the years, to pay for things other than Social Security, the federal government has borrowed $2.9 trillion and not returned it. Keep that in mind as politicians tell the younger generation they have to retire later, because, gosh, it's the darndest thing. There's not enough money. That's BS. You did that, not them. So when ramaswamy talks about how his generation got the shaft this is but one of many examples we have a serious spending problem in this country and it's not the fault of us it's them them there in washington
8: all right ambassador haley let me have you weigh in on this because you said in june that you would be open to raising the retirement age have you determined what that age would be specifically and what other reforms are you looking at
3: so first of all any candidate that tells you that they're not going to take on entitlements is not being serious. Social Security will go bankrupt in 10 years. Medicare will go bankrupt in eight. Right now you have Ron and Trump joining Biden and Pelosi saying they're not gonna change or do any sort of entitlement reform. What we need to do is keep our promises. Those that have been promised should keep it. But for like my kids in their 20s, you go and you say, we're gonna change the rules. You change the retirement age for them. Instead of cost of living increases, we should go to increases based on inflation. We should limit, Limit benefits on the wealthy. Bernie Marcus can tell you he hates getting that check. Limit the benefits on the wealthy, and then expand Medicare Advantage plans. Seniors love that, and let's make sure we do that so they can have more competition. That's how we'll deal with entitlement reform, and that's how we'll start to pay down this debt. And can you give me a specific age? Have you determined the age? Again, you have to work with, Chris, what I can tell you is you can, it's gonna be those in their 20s just coming into the system, and it should reflect more of life expectancy. It doesn't do that now.
4: So this is really important right now. We're working within the last window I believe we will have to actually fix this problem while still leaving Social Security and Medicare benefits for current seniors intact. I'll tell you how. The other candidates assume, like Nikki, that it can't be done. And on her math, she's right about it. But her math assumes $7 trillion of our $33 trillion national debt going to fight wars like in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Minus that, our national debt would be $26 trillion right now. Then you go to zero-based budgeting, which I've proposed as a CEO. It's how I run businesses. It's how many CEOs run businesses. Don't use last year's budget as the baseline start with zero as the baseline, and then ask what's actually necessary. 75% headcount reduction, yes, that is severe, in the number of federal employees in the Washington DC bureaucracy. Shut down redundant agencies that should not exist. Deliver economic growth as a positive tailwind. I think we can get to three, four, maybe even 5% GDP growth if we really take the regulatory shackles off of our economy. And against that backdrop, I believe this is our last best window to be able to take care of our national debt problem through those severe measures, including sacrificing the foreign wars that many bloodthirsty members of both parties have a hunger for. That's the one secret for how we're gonna be able to do this and that requires discipline. So we can't have the first conversation we were having sending foreign aid willy-nilly to countries whose national debt per capita is less than ours. Thank you, But if Mr. we Robert do this correctly, I think this is our last window and it'll take a CEO from the next generation Thank you. to do it.
0: Vivek likes to tout his success as a CEO, and yes, he has made a lot of money, for himself. If you do a deep dive on his business practices, he is at best lucky, at worst a snake oil salesman. It's not surprising he idolizes Trump. Zero base budgeting is a favorite buzzword of his, but while I don't trust him, I will credit him. That is a good idea. Having done operational budgets for businesses, I know how they creep up and up over time if not started with a clean sheet of paper each year. I would often have to explain how my facilities performed so well when others faltered, and it was zero-based budgeting combined with astute forecasting. Government doesn't run like that, and we see the results. Listening to all these candidates demand we get back to pre-COVID spending levels, COVID? That was two years ago. It calls attention to the issue. If a President Ramaswamy did, in fact, pull us out of all foreign wars, yes, the numbers might work in that context.
6: Bottom line is a simple one. We have to grow our economy and cut our spending. Let me just say to my mama and to every other mama or grandfather receiving social security, as president of the United States, I will protect. Your social security. The fact is that we're spending today about $1.1 trillion on social security, about $750 billion on Medicare, about $300 billion on Medicaid, about $400 billion on veterans benefits, $1.7 trillion on annual appropriations. If we're going to actually tame this tiger the way you do it is not by picking on seniors who have paid into a program that deserve their money coming back out to them the way you deal with it is number one you have to grow your economy my plan made in america creates 10 million new jobs grows our economy at 5%. By doing so, you add trillions of dollars of economic activity and billions of dollars to your treasury. Number two, you have to cut taxes. When we cut taxes in 2017, I wrote the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Everybody said, well, guess what? Revenue will go down. Well, in 2018, after we wrote it in 2017, what happened? Revenue went up by 3%, and the next year, it went by another 3%. So what we know is that the Laffer curve still works. But the lower the tax, the higher the revenue, and finally, if we're going to deal with it, we have to take our annual appropriations back to pre-2020, pre-COVID levels of spending, which would save us about a half a trillion dollars in the next budget window. By doing Senator, that, we deal with Social you. Security and our mandatory
2: spending. Thank you. Well, look, as governor of Florida, uh, I know a few people on Social Security and um, I know it's important. My grandmother lived till 91 and Social Security was her sole source of income. And that's true for a lot of seniors throughout this country. So I'd say to seniors in America, uh, promise made, promise kept. I understand what you're going through with the rising prices. Uh, and you need that Social Security check. So we'll make sure to get that done. Uh, what can you do to help shore up Social Security? One of the things that's that's causing problems is the inflation. We have to reduce inflation. When you have higher inflation, the seniors get a cost of living adjustment, which means the program's spending more, but it doesn't cover the increase in the actual inflation rate. We also do need to get to at least 3% growth. You're never gonna be able to have uh, issues, be able to solve the budget without that. But I would note this, Congress for decades took money from Social Security. Social Security would have more tax revenue than it put out. They would take it and then they'd write an IOU to Social Security. Congress has a lot of dirty hands on this. I'm going to force Congress to stop spending so much money. Um, and you know, one thing we have to take we talk about the retirement age is just something that's changed in the last four or five years life expectancy in the united states is declining so governor yes or no
8: would you raise it would you raise the retirement when
2: when when, uh, when life expectancy is declining i don't see how you could raise it the other direction so it's one thing to peg it on life expectancy but we have had a significant decline in life expectancy in this country and that's just the fact
0: (laughs) as governor of florida i know a few people on social security but i like funny Ron DeSantis. more of that governor I see somebody else saw the smoke and mirrors on the hill. Good on you for mentioning it.
7: Tens of thousands of Americans' families have suffered a death to fentanyl. Young people sometimes die taking one pill. What can you do as commander-in-chief on the first day to stop fentanyl and the waterfall of it into this country?
6: Well, number one, we should close our southern border. For $10 billion, we could close our southern border. For an additional $5 billion, we could use the currently available military technology to surveil our southern border, to stop fentanyl from crossing our border. I've already led on legislation that would sanction the Mexican cartels. If you remember the path, the precursors come from China, then they are manufactured in Mexican labs, and then the Mexican cartels bring them across our border. By sanctioning their accounts and eliminating their cash, we starve them of what they need. Number one, closing our southern border makes it nearly impossible to get in. The military-grade technology is a backup, making sure that we not only stop 70,000 deaths in the last 12 months because of fentanyl, it also allows us to deal with the human trafficking travesty that is entering in our country in the same path. If we are going to deal effectively with 100,000 Overdose deaths in our country and the 70,000 that is directly linked to fentanyl, we have to deal with our ports of entry and deal with our southern border. If we do that effectively, we have started reducing the challenge from the outside, and then we have to deal with the challenge on the inside, which seems to be connected to a mental health
7: crisis. That is spreading throughout our nation. Governor Christie, uh, Senator Scott just mentioned ports of entry. Ninety percent of the fentanyl that is seized in the United States is seized at ports of entry. We don't know what's coming in across the open southern border. You've been a United States attorney. You've taken on cartels. Can it really be done quickly? What would you do as president?
5: It, it can be done quickly in 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 two ways. You on fentanyl. Um, the first way is exactly as as you suggest, at ports of entry. Um, we have to beef up what our law enforcement has in terms of technology. I would invest in that as president. Um, we need to make sure that law enforcement has every tool that's disposal to do it. Secondly, on day one, I would sign an executive order that would send the National Guard to partner with Customs and Border Patrol, both at ports of entry and at the open ports of our border. Customs and Border Patrol agents are overwhelmed. There's 200,000 encounters a month over the last 11 months. We simply do not have the man and woman power at the border to be able to deal with it. And so dealing with both law enforcement and and you're right, we have done this, we can do this, but we got to give them the tools to do it. And technology is one of the biggest tools that we don't have enough of at the ports of entry. Now, we also need to lower demand, Hugh, in this country. And the way to lower demand is to start treating people again. You know, we started to do this before COVID and we haven't done enough of it. And for every family out there tonight who has lost a loved one to fentanyl or to any other type of opioid overdose, what you know is all you want is a chance for them to win their lives back. When I'm President of the United States, we're going to call this what it is. It is a disease like heart disease, diabetes, or any other disease like cancer that can be treated, should be treated. We not only have to stop supply, but we have to lower demand and save together.
0: It's heartening to hear them talk about the victims in a compassionate way. Seeing the reports of deaths due to opioids and the mentally ill people walking the streets is shocking. This is not a subject that can be overlooked by a future president, any president, regardless of who wins next year. Governor DeSantis,
7: you have talked about using United States Special Forces to attack the cartels where they manufacture the chemicals that come from China. How often, how many,
2: what what does that look like? We need to. We're declaring it a national emergency on day one. I'm sending U.S. military to the border. I'm going to stop the invasion cold. I am going to deport people who came illegally. And I'm even going to build the border wall and have Mexico pay for it like Donald Trump promised. How are you going to do it? Yeah, Mexico's not going to fork over money. We're going to impose fees on the remittances that foreign workers send to foreign countries. We'll raise billions of dollars. I'll build a wall. But we are going to designate the cartels to be foreign terrorist organizations or something similar to that and we're gonna authorize the use of deadly force. We're gonna have maritime operations to interdict precursor chemicals going into Mexico. But I'll tell you this, if someone in the drug cartels is sneaking fentanyl across the border when I'm president, that's gonna be the last thing they do. We're gonna shoot them stone cold dead.
0: Stone cold dead. Hmm. That would be a significant change in policy to say the least. Looking at what the cartels are capable of and do, I doubt anyone would warn their Final interdiction Paying for the border wall by charging against remittances. Well, that's a thing you could do. Some will love it, some will hate it. Ambassador
7: Haley imp. Ambassador Haley, if the united states uses special forces in mexico without prior notice to the mexican allies to our south what would your colleagues at the united nations think about that
3: i don't care what my colleagues at the united nations think what i'll tell you is first of all you have to go to the source we have lost more Americans in the Vietnam, Afghan, Afghanistan and Iraq wars combined. We lost 75,000 Americans last year. Go to the source. It is the reason why we will continue to say we will end all normal trade relations with China until they stop murdering Americans. You watch how quick that flow stops. The second thing is we'll send special operations in to take out the cartels. We need to go to where they're distributing it, where the supply centers are, and take them out. We'll put 25,000 more Border Patrol and ICE agents on the ground and let them do their job. We will defund sanctuary cities. We will go back to the Remain in Mexico policy so that everybody stays in Mexico and they never get here in the first place. And instead of catch and deport, we'll go to catch and release. I'm sorry, instead of catch and release, we'll go to catch and deport. That is the way we'll deal with the border. Those are the things that we have to do going forward. But I do agree with Chris. One of the first things that we have to do is really focus on mental health and addiction centers. It is something that is needed in our country terribly because we don't deal with mental health and someone who doesn't get care for mental health falls into addiction and we owe it to them to treat it like the cancer that it is.
0: You are free to not care what the UN thinks. And while this cowboy rhetoric is fun to say, we should not make light of what we're actually talking about here. United States military on the ground in Mexico without the approval of the Mexican government is a significant event. This is not John J. Pershing chasing Pancho Villa into Mexico. What would we do if Canada started dropping soldiers into Montana to engage, what, the militia group? I'm pretty sure we would take that very seriously and respond with appropriate displeasure. While Mexico is certainly not a willing partner in stopping the flow of drugs across the border, it is still a sovereign country. It would be a very bad look internationally for us to start invading it because we can. Maybe do it DeSena style and drop them as they cross the border. Is that really the middle ground on this?
7: To Ramaswamy. Special forces in Mexico
4: shoot them stone cold dead at the border. One thing I just want to say and how we're talking about this issue is, you know, like Ron, I've actually met many parents across this country who have lost their kids to laced pharmaceuticals that have fentanyl in them. The only thing I would ask, Ron, I think you'd be on the same page with me on this. Let's not even call that an overdose. That is not an overdose. That is poisoning. If you put that fentanyl in a Big Mac, we would not call that an overdose. You'd call it what it is. It's closer to bioterrorism. And I say that because as it uniquely relates to this crisis, that does warrant more aggressive means to deal with it. So there's a new presidential election in Mexico in 2024. People may not be aware of that. It's going to be someone other than Obrador, who has been a disaster in Mexico. I think he's even mentioned me obliquely in speeches to say that somebody who would do this shouldn't get anywhere near the White House. Well, AMLO, get out of the way. There's going to be someone else in charge. I hope to build a good... Relationship with that next president of Mexico we will use our own military to seal our own southern border What we need to do is stop using our military to protect somebody else's border halfway around the world when we're short right here at home Get serious about protecting this border and then the other thing that hasn't been discussed is the northern border I'm the only candidate on the stage as far as I'm aware who has actually visited the northern border there was enough fentanyl that was captured just on the northern border last year to kill Three million Americans. So we got to just state to where the puck is going, not just where the puck is. Don't just build the wall, build both walls. Can't just complete the wall, use the military to seal the Swiss cheese for the tunnels that they're actually building underneath that wall. Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. And actually get this job done.
0: The northern border security has been a Ramaswamy thing. He's visited there and there is certain to be some amount of drugs and potential terrorists crossing that border from the Great White North. Canada is having their own struggles, and there's no telling what is crossing over from there. John Candy has passed, and he can't protect us anymore. Yes, another movie reference. Anybody? Canadian bacon? It's hysterical. Worth it for the scene with Dan Aykroyd at least. But I digress.
8: Let's talk now about last night's election results. Abortion rights supporters saw victories in Ohio and Virginia, following earlier wins in states like Kansas and Kentucky.
2: We're better off when everybody counts. Uh, we're better off when we can promote a culture of life. At the same time, I understand that some of these states are doing it a little bit different. Texas is not gonna do it the same as New Hampshire. Iowa's not necessarily gonna do it the same uh, as Virginia. So you gotta work from the bottom up. Uh, You gotta do a better job on these referenda. I think of all the stuff that's happened to the pro-life cause, Uh, They have been caught flat-footed on these referenda, and they have been losing the referenda. A lot of the people who are voting for the referenda are Republicans who would vote for a Republican candidate. So you got to understand how to do that. But let's just be clear. The Democrats have taken a position. They will not identify the point at which there should be any protection all the way up until birth. That is wrong, and we cannot stand for that.
0: Caught flat-footed? At the state level, maybe. But at the federal level, the pro-life movement has been working the system expertly. The new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, and his legal ilk have advanced their Christian conservative mission at a stunning pace, actually overturning Roe v. Wade. What you saw in the various state elections across multiple states was blowback from that decision. The pro-choice people are falling back and counterattacking as they feel justifiably under attack. Abortion is one of those issues that will pull you in and drag you down. People are adamant about it, and it's easy to see why. No matter which side you are on, or even if you're somewhere in the middle, we all appreciate the gravity of this subject. The elections this week sent a message, and the GOP had better heed it if they hope to do well in the general.
8: All right, Governor DeSantis, thank you. Ambassador Haley, let me have you weigh in. Former President Trump has consistently blamed the abortion issue and how Republican candidates have talked about it for their electoral losses. How do you see the path forward?
3: I've said it before, I think you have to be honest with the American people. This is a personal issue for every woman and every man. I am unapologetically pro-life, not because the Republican party tells me to be, but because my husband Michael was adopted and I had trouble having both of my children. So I'm surrounded by blessings. Having said that, when you look post-Roe, a wrong was made right. They took it out of the hands of unelected justices and they put it in the hands of the people. And now we're seeing states vote. And what i'll tell you is as much as i'm pro-life i don't judge anyone for being pro-choice and i don't want them to judge me for being pro-life so when we're looking at this there are some states that are going more on the pro-life side i welcome that there's some states that are going more on the pro-choice side i wish that wasn't the case but the people decided but when it comes to the federal law which is what's being debated here be honest it's going to take 60 Senate votes, a majority of the House, and a president to sign it. So no, we haven't had 60 Senate votes in over 100 years. We might have 45 pro-life senators. So no Republican president can ban abortions any more than a Democrat president can ban these state laws. So let's find consensus. Let's agree on what, how we can ban late-term abortions. Let's make sure we encourage adoptions and good quality adoptions. Let's make sure we make contraception accessible. Let's make sure that none of these state laws put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty for getting an abortion. Let's focus on how to save as many babies as we can and support as many moms as we can and stop Thank the you, judgment. Pastor. We don't need to divide America over this issue anymore.
0: Nikki Haley has been consistent on this, and it seems to be the best workable position that speaks to her principles without inciting fear in the opposition on this subject. As a middle-of-the-road type myself, I appreciate such a considered stance on this very divisive issue, and I would expect many independent voters would as well. Y'all want to win, right? Even the Cheeto knows this is an albatross around the GOP's neck. Cut it loose or you will keep losing.
8: You see this as a consensus issue.
6: Well, I'm 100% pro-life. I have a 100% pro-life voting record. I would certainly, as President of the United States, have a 15-week national limit. I would not allow states like California, Illinois, or New York to have abortion up until the day of birth. I certainly would not not allow for governors, uh, former governor, uh, Democratic governor of Virginia, who talked about infanticide. We need a 15-week federal limit three out of four americans agree with a 15-week limit 47 out of 50 countries in europe agree with a 15-week limit i would challenge both nikki and ron to join me at a 15-week limit it is in our nation's best interest and frankly i think it's unethical unethical and immoral to allow for abortions up until the day of birth we have an opportunity in this nation to stop that reckless behavior from states like California, New York and Illinois, I'd go a step further. In my parents' plan, we start by talking about funding, block-granting resources to crisis pregnancy centers. We should support adoption. There are a number of ways that we can say to the expected mother that we stand with you. We should not only be pro-life before the child is born, we should be pro-life after the child is born just as much.
0: 15 weeks. Okay, we'll see, that's a discussion. Better than you would get from the Johnsons and Pences of the world for sure. But when you try to make it a federal law, you're going to have issues. Let's see what Haley has to say on that since she was name dropped.
8: Senator Scott, thank you. Ambassador Haley, your name was invoked. Would you support a 15 week federal limit? I would support anything that would pass
3: because that's what would save more babies and support more moms. But do you have to be honest with the American people? And I appreciate that Tim keeps calling me out for this. But Tim, there was a bill last year. Lindsey Graham sponsored it. You didn't even co-sponsor the bill. And then when you first were interviewed on this, when you ran, you wouldn't even say you were for 15 weeks. What I'm saying to the American people is, let's see what we can agree on. Let's bring people together and decide what we can agree on. I will sign anything where we can get 60 Senate votes, but don't make the American people think... That you're going to push something on them when we don't even have the votes in the Senate. It's important that we're honest about that.
0: Yeah, that. You won't get the votes, Senator. You know this. Haley seems to be the only one realistic on this. Maybe that's a deal breaker if a voter is a one-issue voter and that issue is abortion, but Main Street is full of differing opinions on this and it's a poison pill for the most part.
8: Mr. Ramaswamy, would you support a 15 week federal ban? And what is the path forward
4: on this? I just wanted to say I mean, Nikki Haley didn't vote being honest. And I just want to give credit to Tim Scott. He's honest about where he stood. And I think you should be honest, not making a political calculus, but to say if a bill is served up, would you sign it? Here's my view on this speaking as a man, they say men have trouble speaking on this issue. I don't think we need to be that way. It was my home state of Ohio. I'm upset about this yesterday, that passed a constitutional amendment that now effectively codifies a right to abortion all the way up to the time of birth without parental consent. Why? It's back to that Republican culture of losing. The Republicans did not have an alternative amendment or vision on the table. I know Ohio was born, raised, and I lived there. It's representative of the country. If in the state of Ohio, we talked about access to contraception, adoption, and also here's the missing ingredient in this movement, sexual responsibility for men. We live in an era of reliable genetic paternity tests that are 100% reliable. So we can say men deserve more responsibility. So we can tell women, we're all in this together. It's not men's rights versus women's rights. It's about human rights. And I come back to that case that Clarence Thomas spoke of. A pregnant woman walking down the street. She's assaulted. The unborn child dies in that assault. You find me one person in this country who says that that criminal does not deserve liability for that death. You won't find one. That says we share the same instincts on this issue, but we require, I believe, a different generation of leadership thank you. to actually lead us forward and unite the country on this thank you, honesty.
0: Lincoln's culture of losing, you know, Vivek, you're right on this one. I'm not sure where he's going with responsibility for men. In most cases, men are not heard or valued in this decision at the public square level, at least. If you're talking about being held to account for unwanted pregnancies, they easily can be and usually are if the woman desires it. If you're talking about any say from the father in the decision, no. That's never going to be entertained. The new state law you speak of sounds horrible to me, but when the pro-life warriors tore down Roe, they scared the hell out of women across the nation. Seeing them vote for nearly anything that they feel would protect their right to the procedure, even if they don't like it or even think they would ever use it, is understandable. Blowback. Keep pushing the issue, and you'll see it again in November.
8: Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Governor Christie, as you know, federal limits are important to a lot of Republicans. Where do you stand on this issue, and what is the path forward for Republicans?
5: For 50 years, um, conservative lawyers have been arguing that the federal government should have absolutely nothing to do with this issue constitutionally because it's nowhere in the Constitution. And then Dobbs comes, and we finally gain that victory, which was the creation of a constitutional right out of thin air that didn't exist. And now we have people running to say, let's short circuit the states from doing what they need to do. And let's go right to some type of federal ban at a certain number of weeks. And people on the stage have been all over the place, 20 weeks, 15 weeks, 12, six. Look, the frowns were really smart. And this is an issue that should be decided in each state. And I trust the people of this country state by state to make the call for themselves. Now, that's going to lead to a lot of divergence. In Oklahoma, you can't get an abortion unless the life of the mother is at risk. In my home state of New Jersey, it goes up to nine months that you get an abortion. I find that morally reprehensible, but that is what the people of our state have voted for. And we should not short circuit that process until every state's people have the right to weigh in on it. But here's the bigger issue, Kirsten. The bigger issue is, and Tim began to touch on this, we're not pro life for the whole life. To be pro life for the whole life means that the life of a 16 year old drug addict on the floor of the county lockup is precious and we should get treatment for her to restore her life. The 52 year old who's drug addicted should make sure that any of his children who he's passed that addiction on to are treated well too. Pro life's not just in the womb, Kirsten, it's for the whole life.
0: Another thoughtful voice. The constitutional aspect of this is important. States' rights are closely guarded and codified in the 10th Amendment which reads, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. Case closed. The federal government has no precedent on this issue. It goes to the states. It's not surprising that a former lawyer sees this and can balance his personal feelings against the speciousness of the federal abortion law proponents. You have no leg to stand on constitutionally and you're only alienated voters by chasing it. As Haley said, it's a personal issue. I do like that Christian and Scott emphasize that pro-life should be for the whole life. I don't see a lot of that sentiment among that crowd, and it says a lot about their real commitment. The candidates then gave their one-minute closing speeches. I'll let them close out the debate in their own words.
6: There is a crisis that is growing in our nation, and that crisis is cultural and spiritual. We need a renewal, a great awakening. We should reject the less valueless, faithless fatherless society we should turn back to faith patriotism and individual responsibility we should stop choosing victimhood and start choosing victory we should stop kneeling in protest and start kneeling in prayer there are basic truths that built this country if you're able-bodied in america you work if you take out a loan you pay it back if you commit a violent crime you go to jail, and if God made you a man, you play sports against men. I do not just want to. Audience please. I do not just. I do not just want to win the battle against Joe Biden. I want us together to win the war, the war for our Christian conservative values that changed
5: my life. Senator Scott, thank you. Governor Christie, you have. Won That's my message you your for me. your vote. Thank you for hosting tonight. Listen, it's a gift the gift to be an American and I'm running for president of the United States because I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing the division. I'm tired of seeing the anger and I can see in the eyes of Americans, their exhaustion, their exhaustion from the petty personal politics that have taken over this country over the last number of years. I'm running for president to be a president of consequence, to do the big things, to make sure that America's role in the world stays number one, that we stand up for our friends and allies around the world, and we stand up for what we believe in right here at home. And it's not to eliminate our differences. Our differences has always been our strength as a country, not our weakness. But you can't truly say you love America unless you're ready to open up your heart to every American. I'm gonna open up my heart to every American as president, and I will make sure that I return honesty, integrity to the Oval Office.
4: We deserve and should accept nothing less we've talked a lot about foreign wars tonight but we're in the middle of a war right here at home it's a war not between black and white or Democrat and Republican it's between those of us who believe in our founding ideals and love this country and a fringe minority who hates the United States of America and I think it's gonna take a commander-in-chief to lead us to victory in that war who first of all knows that we're in a war second of all can't be captured by the special interests along the way But third is from the next generation, somebody with fresh legs to lead us to victory. I'll shut down the deep state, I'll declare economic independence from China, I'll keep us out of World War III, and then revive national pride in this country. I also want to close with one message to the Democrat Party. End this farce that Joe Biden is going to be your nominee. We know he's not even the President of the United States. He's a puppet for the managerial class so have the guts to step up and be honest about who you're actually going to put up so we can have an honest debate biden should step aside end his candidacy now so we can see whether it's Newsom or michelle obama or whoever else just tell us the truth so we can have an honest debate
3: thank you the world is on fire we have a war in europe we've got a war in the middle east we've got china on the march It is very important that we know how to defend our freedoms and how to defeat terrorism and socialism. We have to know the difference between good and evil. We have to know the difference between right and wrong. We need to know that a strong America doesn't start wars, a strong America prevents wars. And the way we can focus on that is to make sure we go back to the soul of America and be strong and proud again. And we can't do that. We can't win the fights of the 21st century with politicians from the 20th century. We have to move forward and we can do this. I know we can do this. So join our movement, go to NikkiHaley.com and we will once again show what America that's strong and proud looks like. God bless.
2: We must reverse our country's decline and that is going to require leadership. I will take the hits, I will take the arrows, I will take the barbs, because it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about the past. It's about your future. We are going to fight for you. I am going to win for you and your family, and I'm going to lead this country's revival. As a veteran of the Iraq War and in the Navy, I will always put service above self as president. As the father of three young kids, I'm going to ensure that this country is left to the next generation in better shape than we found it. And as the governor of Florida, I delivered on all my promises. And you can trust me to deliver for you as the president of the United States. I am asking for your vote. Uh, I'll be a nominee that will be able to win the election. I will be a leader you can be proud of. And as your president, I will not let you down. God bless you.
0: Well, how do you think they did? Are they getting traction against Donald Trump? There will be a fourth debate scheduled for December 6th in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It will be moderated by former Fox anchor Megan Kelly, News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas, and Eliana Johnson of the Free Beacon. The Republican National Committee announced last Friday the qualifications would be more stringent. The polling percentage will rise to 6% in two national polls or one national poll and one statewide poll in either Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Nevada. Donor levels will also rise to 80,000 unique donors and at least 200 donors from each of 20 or more states. As of this show, the only candidates that have met the threshold are Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Vivek Ramaswamy. But Tim Scott and Chris Christie still has some time to qualify. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.